Enterprise, a locally owned weekly newspaper covering news and views in Bucksport, Orland, Verona Island, and beyond. Available on newsstands every Thursday. A voice of many voices, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and on the web at WERU.org, grassroots community radio. Support for WERU comes from Village Soup, the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. It's 4 o'clock and it's time for Main Currents. And this is Main Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm your host, Amy Brown. In response to the unspeakable hate crime in Orlando over the weekend, our local communities have been pulling together in solidarity to grieve and to support one another. In the first half of today's program, we'll bring you to Monday night's vigil in Bangor and last night's vigil in Belfast. In the second half hour, we'll be talking with Valentine King and taking your calls. Val is the former host of Ism Prism here on WERU and a longtime activist and cultural critic. We'll tell you more about him later. But first, we're going to start in Bangor Monday night, where a crowd of hundreds packed the stairs of City Hall and the surrounding sidewalks for a candlelight vigil. I want to introduce our, our next speaker, who is a representative of Equality Maine. I've had um, the pleasure of being in contact with people who are LGBT leaders around the state from Machias down to Portland. Uh, in fact, Equality Maine made it a point to shift their event this evening. So they are joining. They started their event at 8.30 this evening so they could join us in solidarity from a distance. They've also, they also have a board member here who is also a pastor at the Hammond Street Congregational Church. So I want to introduce Mark Doty. Thank you, Alex. On Friday, I bought plane tickets to a gay men's gathering next month in Orlando. When the first awful news began coming from the Pulse nightclub yesterday, my first thought, not surprisingly, was that could have been me. My next thought was, of course, of the 100 victims and their families especially the 50 men who died. Over the past 20 years, I have had literally thousands of conversations with gay men. Make no mistake, ours is not an easy life. It is complicated, challenging, and often lonely. For some gay men and trans men, life is ultimately too unbearable. Like our straight brothers and sisters, we have known suffering and also joy. That these brothers in the bond spent their last hours staring into the face of evil and being filled with terror evokes a sadness within me that is beyond expressing. How can anyone look the other way when these men were forced to tweet frantically their family and friends, someone needs to come and get us. He's in here right now. We're going to die. For those who lost their lives and those who were injured, I mourn for the horror of those terrible moments. You may know that mass shooting has been defined as an event involving four or more people. The Guardian reports the stunning statistic 
that there have been 1,052 mass shootings in the United States in 1,066 days. 1,052 shootings in 1,066 days. President Obama has said that we have set a pattern now of mass shootings in this country that has no parallel anywhere else in the world. Even as we gather this evening to grieve and remember, I have to ask, how long will this madness continue? How many candlelight vigils will we have to have to hold across the United States before the horrific carnage ceases? Truth be told, we have not done and not come to terms with the place of firearms in our national life. Incredibly to me, the deaths of 20 children and six adults at Sandy Hook still has not enabled us to arrive at a consensus on the crucial difference between guns for hunters and guns for killers. In my view, there's never any reason for members of the general public to possess an assault weapon. Be that as it may, the bottom line for me is this, in this tragedy. Let us mourn the deaths and wounds of those, our fellow citizens, for they are part of our American family and part of God's family. In their memory, let us all resolve to change the climate of gun violence in the United States. In the meantime, I am grateful for this outpouring of love and concern in Bangor and around the world, as well as for countless donations of blood. I take heart in the words posted by a pastor yesterday on the web. We all share one pulse. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much. We have a couple more folks who are going to speak. Um, the next speaker that I get to introduce, I want to say, is a proud lesbian mom and also a good friend of mine. I want to introduce the mayor of Brewer, Bev Eulenhig. Thank you. Good evening, and thank you all for coming. Your presence here is so incredibly important to so many of us. So I've thought a lot about what I was going to say tonight. A lot. I, I think even on Facebook I threatened to drop F-bombs, and I might. I apologize if I do. <laughs> I'm not going to be as eloquent as the other speakers tonight. I'm going to tell you a personal story, because for me this is personal. It's painful, and it's too close for me to worry about being eloquent. You see, over the weekend, I had that Obama-Trayvon Martin moment. I knew that this could have been me, like Mark, Mark had said, this could have been me in a bar, dancing with friends, celebrating pride. And I know that that applies to so many of you. In fact, 20 years ago, okay, so I am a mom at this point, so it's not me in a bar. Because um, <laughs> I, I just don't have the energy anymore. Um, but it, it could have been any of us. So 
Let me tell my story. I came out at the age of 21. On my 21st birthday, my friends took me to a bar called Wall Street. It's a two-story warehouse bar in Columbus, Ohio. It was amazing. I understand it's closed now. My friends took me not because they knew I was gay. I had not come out yet to them. I knew they didn't. But they took me there because it was a place to dance and to laugh and to be comfortable. And because, let's face it, the dance music's better. <laughs> there are stereotypes. There are also truisms. <laughs> I had a grand time that night. I felt wonderful, I felt safe, I felt at peace. I saw other people like me, and they saw me. I laughed freely because I could. That building was full of gays and lesbians and bisexuals of all races and colors and ages. It was also full of drag queens and trans folks who looked better in a dress than I will ever hope to. <laughs> but as comfortable as I was in that bar, I wasn't as comfortable in my own skin outside that bar. I was dealing with questions like, what's going to happen when my parents find out? What will my siblings say? Will I lose my job? Will I be allowed to go to grad school? What plan do I have in case I get disowned? And I developed that plan because everyone that I knew who was gay and lesbian in the 90s, much less the 80s and the 70s and the 60s, had a plan. Because we knew what could happen, we saw it, we saw others have to use their plan, and it's not fun. We had Wall Street, we had that bar, that sanctuary, that place where you might get a drink or a bite to eat or to simply be there for a couple of hours. And that's part of what really stings about this incident to me is that it wasn't just a hate crime. It was a hate crime in one of our sanctuaries, in one of our safe spaces. This is also a safe space and I'm so glad so many of you are here. I truly, truly appreciate it. Things have changed dramatically over the last 20 years. We fought and won the right to not lose our jobs, although it still happens. We've won the right to be married in all 50 states. And in addition to many of the legal protections that I absolutely did not expect to see in my lifetime, we also won some social wars. Those social wars made it acceptable for us to live our lives out loud. We have an out lesbian mayor in the city of Brewer. I'm that out lesbian mayor and I'm still surprised. But we haven't won safety and we haven't won comfort. So I was very specific in my attire for tonight's event. I'm wearing black because we mourn. We mourn those we never got to know. We mourn our sanctuary. We mourn that little piece of our souls 
that never thought that this could happen. And I'm also wearing red. And I thought I saw Corey Haskell in the crowd and a couple other folks who worked on the 2009 marriage campaign and for those that were there in Augusta in 2009 at the Civic Center with 4,000 people dressed in red, red for love. You know you can't wear red without thinking of love. I don't have any amazing words of wisdom that will make this feel all better. My kids are still young enough that they believe me when I tell them I can kiss their boo-boos and make it all better. <laughs> I can't. I wish I could. What I can tell you is this. I will continue to wear red for love. I will continue to fight for that safety and comfort for all. I will continue to wear red. I will continue to live out loud. And I figure as long as I am reminiscing about the 90s and dancing, I might as well do a quote from the 80s from a movie. Because you know, when you're doing kitschy, you might as well go full board. <laughs> from the oldest of times, people danced for a number of reasons. They danced in prayer, or so that their crops could be plentiful, or so that their hunt would be good. And they danced to stay physically fit and show their community spirit, and they dance to celebrate. There is a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to laugh, a time to weep, a time to mourn, and there is a time to dance. See, this is our time to dance. It's our way of celebrating life. It's the way it was in the beginning. It's the way it always has been. It's the way it should be now. In about two weeks, Bangor will celebrate our own version of pride. We have no bar, but we will make this city a sanctuary. I suggest we dance. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, one of our last speakers of tonight is from the Health Equity Alliance, HEAL. Her name is Maggie Campbell. Please help me welcome her. Hi. Thank you so much, Alex and Einstein, for inviting me to stand up here tonight. Um, and thanks for hanging in there, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Maggie Campbell. My, I am the Director of Communications at the Health Equity Alliance here in Bangor, which is a public health nonprofit that serves the LGBTQ community. We feel this tragedy really deeply, as not only our clients, but many of our staff members, myself included, are members of the LGBT community. And so I'm grateful to share just a few quick words with you tonight. Yesterday, our country awoke to the news that something horrible had happened, right? We awoke to find that yet another mass shooting had occurred within our borders. We awoke to countless articles and updates detailing the attack, location, perpetrator, victims. As I reflected today on what's happened, responded to calls, texts, and messages of anguish, anger, and pain from my queer family in Maine and spread across this world, I prepared to gather with my community in mourning, and I was called to put words to a nagging feeling. Straight, cisgender, white Americans awoke yesterday to a tragedy that defies description. But unlike me and my queer siblings, they awoke to a feeling of safety. LGBTQ people live each day with an awareness that safety is not guaranteed. Many of us are rejected by our communities, our families, our faith leaders. Our identities are challenged, erased, and ridiculed. We walk the streets knowing that harassment, violence, and hurt could come at any moment. 
Trans folks and queer people of color know this threat even more intimately than others. Let us not forget that Sunday's shooting took place at Latino Night at Pulse, a night celebrating queer people of color. When I heard the news of the Orlando shootings, my first thought was one I'm sure echoed in the hearts and minds of my LGBTQ siblings across the globe, which is, am I safe? When I walk down the street holding the hands of a partner, am I safe? When I attend a pride event in my community with my friends, am I safe? When I kneel down in my place of worship, am I safe? When I order a drink at happy hour with a coworker, am I safe? When I go to a nightclub in hopes of dancing away my stress, freely expressing my gender and connecting with people I love, am I safe? And for so many of us, the answer is no. Last weekend, I worked a pride event right here in Maine, organized by my coworkers, and spent the better part of the day trying to negotiate with an irrational man who sat on his porch across from our children's activity area, spewing homophobic and transphobic slurs for hours on end. I wish I could tell you that that was the first time I endured horrifying verbal abuse on the job, but that wouldn't be true. And when he held up a metal pipe and pointed it toward me, mimicking a machine gun, I thought to myself, am I safe? And the answer was no. So tonight we are gathered to grieve and to honor those who lost their lives in this tragic massacre. Massacre! All our queer and trans siblings who have lost their lives to the same hatred, violence, and intolerance that spurred this attack. To the people who paved the way for us to stand here today, proudly pro proclaiming our identities, surrounded by supportive community members. The founding mothers of our movement, Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> Page turn. Who were fierce, unapologetic trans women of color who taught us the meaning of bravery and protest. We hold in our hearts every queer person who is alone tonight, every queer person who wonders how they will face the world in the morning. And lastly, we are here to love one another, our most noble goal. As we go back to work, back to school, and back into the daily patterns of our lives, which for many of us, and for me, include providing services that keep our beloved queer siblings alive. We must support one another every day the way we support each other tonight in the face of tragedy. We mustn't let the voices of hate turn us against other marginalized people. And we must love in the way only we can. We must survive. Thank you. Before I lead us in the moment of silence, I um, just want to apologize because I'm an angry, assertive advocate and I have a microphone. <laughs> and um, I, I really want to stress something after all of the speeches, after all of the Facebook posts, after all of the news articles. This is not about guns. This is not about terrorism. This is about a hate crime, homophobia, transphobia. This is simply hate. And we are dealing with this on a daily basis. The country is now looking to our community, some with support, some the complete opposite. This isn't the first time, and I fear it's not going to be the last time. More than ever, we need pride. I have heard time and time again, we have our rights, we're good, we don't need parades anymore, we don't need clubs anymore, we do. There are still kids being kicked out of their homes for being gay and being transgender. There are still elderly, LGBT, queer, gender variant people that are not being respected. There are still people that are being denied access to health care for who they are. This is not going to stop, and we need to form together as a community now more than ever to show our pride. I am now going to lead us in a moment of silence.
on WERU. Those were some of the speakers at the candlelight vigil at Bangor City Hall Monday night, just a few steps away from the site of Bangor's own infamous hate crime, the murder of the young gay man, Charlie Howard, in 1984. If we have time later on, we'll play some more clips from the Bangor vigil. You can also see photos and a brief video clip on WERU's Facebook page and on our new WERU News YouTube channel. Next, we go to Belfast for a few minutes. We're going to be talking with Valentine King and opening the phone lines after this. Uh, In Belfast, a vigil was held on the waterfront last night. The speaker did not identify himself. It's so easy to turn to rage. It's so easy to turn to anger. It's so easy to blame. Most of my extended family was cooked in the oven at Auschwitz. And most of my life I've asked the question, how did it happen? How did good people let this happen? It's a question we have to hold close in these times because it happened because we could call people other. It happened because we could demonize the other It happened because we could separate ourselves from themselves. As a gay person, I know what it is to be shunned, to be called other, to be hated. It happened to me in my own family. My poor mother couldn't fully love or embrace me because she was poisoned by this society. There is a movement afoot in our country to demonize the other. And I am sick and tired and scared. And I rise to talk to you today out of that fear to what is happening to our country. Ever since this event happened in Orlando, the media has simply called it terrorism. Occasionally, They've said it's against LGBTQ people. But that misses the point. A very troubled individual was allowed by our society to take up an assault weapon and commit mass murder. 
And the little we know about him is that he was a deeply troubled individual. He seems to have been troubled by his own internalized homophobia. He seems to have been troubled by the violence somewhere in his life. We must claim that violence belongs to all of us. It is not an accident, perhaps, that he came from Afghanistan. We must claim that we are part of that violence. We must accept our own role in it. We must learn that love does not come easily. It does not come quickly. It is a practice. And it begins by looking into the eyes of the other and recognizes they are none other than ourselves. In the coming weeks and months, I pray that each of us, each time we hear someone demonized as the other, will take a moment to think of those 49 lost souls, those 50 lost souls. We'll take a moment to realize that by demonizing one more person, we are contributing to the evil that will fester until we shut it down. And the way we shut it down is through love. Thank you. Leroy Valentine Fernandez, 25 years old. Jonathan Antonio Camoy Vega, 24 years old. Anthony Luis Lauren Odisla, 25 years old. Christopher Joseph Sanfeliz, 24 years old. Yil Marie Rodriguez Sullivan, 24 years old. Javier Jorge Reyes, uh, 40 years old. Christopher Andrew Leonin, 32 years old. Gerald Arthur Wright, 31 years old. Deanka Deidre Drayton, 32 years old. Mercedes Marisol Flores, 26 years old. Oscar A. Arancina Montero, 26 years old. Eddie Jamaldroy Justice, 30 years old. Alejandro Barrios Martinez, 21 years old. Luis Daniel Conde, 39 years old.
Those, of course, were some of the names of the victims, some of the victims from the shooting in Orlando that were read by attendees at the vigil in Belfast last night. In a correction, the shooter didn't come from Afghanistan. His parents did. He was U.S. born. From Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> A video of the vigil is posted on WERU's website if you'd like to see that. That's the entire vigil. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU. I'm Amy Brown. For the second half hour, we'll be talking with Valentine King. And after we give him a a few moments to say a few words, we'll be taking your calls. Listeners will remember Valentine King as the former host of Ism Prism here on WERU, but in that capacity, he didn't get a chance to really tell you about his own long history as an activist. Val is a cultural maven and an independent thinker, a cultural critic. He's been based in Somesville, Maine, here for the last eight years, but he's originally from Philadelphia, where he was active in the independent arts and queer cultural movement in the 80s and was part of the movement fighting for recognition of AIDS as a national health crisis at the time. For many years, he was a youth development worker at the Youth Health Empowerment Project, an agency devoted to promoting HIV prevention and youth leadership. Welcome back home to WERU, Val. Hey, good to see you. It's good to have you here. Under weird circumstances. but Right, yeah. right. How are you doing? Um emotional roller coaster this is um big um i mentioned to you i think it's um something like like ptsd on some level um as a as a person of color as a queer person of color violence is always um I've been aware of violence. Actually, I've actually been put in the hospital, um, and I've been attacked at least four times in my life. Once at a party that I even gave by a stranger who happened who who came to the party with someone else. But um, so, but this thing feels to me it could be a tipping point. It or it could be an opportunity, because it seems like it intersected or intersectionality of a lot of stuff. So it intersects with queerness, it intersects with homophobia, it intersects with terrorism, it intersects around, around racial and gender stuff. So, and also it seems like it might be a shift in the society because if this had happened 10 years ago, I don't know if it would be such a mass upset across the country, and people seem to be upset across the country. So although this is absolutely horrible, it seems like an opportunity to um, challenge something or to change something for the better. I think this is not just political thing. I think this is a moral thing as well. So, so um, yeah, and I said... And I said also um, with religion. But bars, for those who do not know, and you've probably been hearing a lot of this this past several days, have been safe spaces. Queer people do not have many safe spaces. But bars, besides singing and dancing and celebrating of life, is of coming together, it's also a networking venue. I got one of my better, best jobs at a bar. Um, I was at the bar, and at that time, this is years ago, but I met one of the vice presidents of Mellon Bank. You know, that's that's probably 20 years ago. So that was a, that wound up leading to a really good job because of who I am. I can't easily just walk indoors and say, 
here's the interview. Could I be interviewed here? Some, whatever it is that I say, um, it's not easily palatable to the society. Another one of um, one of my best friends in the world who now lives in Seattle. Um, how I got a really good job. I used to work at University of Penn as an assistant to a dean. But how I got that job, this individual who I met at a bar years ago already worked at University of Penn and worked for a dean. So I just want people to understand that bars are not just dancing. And we do need dancing because dancing is a form of therapy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Dancing, for I think, for queer people stops you from or stops a lot of us from committing suicide. Um, this individual, um, actually, the type of individual he was is recognizable within queer community. It was people who have internalized um, homophobia um, runs all across the country. All across the country, you recognize them. Um, and they're struggling with something, with trying to love themselves or trying to like themselves, because it came out that he had been going to that bar for at least three years. Um, he had been thrown out of the bar a few times, drunk. It's rumored that he may have even tried to um, make a few passes at individuals. So that goes back to intersection, the intersectionalness, that he was struggling with something, that he was trying to find answer with something. And... Um, and then whatever won out he couldn't overcome, he used his religious background or delved into it to, um, that's the avenue he chose. At the same time, where there's a lot of support coming, being um, given to the queer community, I've also heard a lot of negative stuff being um, given out are being stated by various Christian organizations or Christian representatives. And one in particular is the um, 700 Club. People and, who are defending that he did the shooting. Yes. Or, def or, or in some cases, some pastors are saying he should have shot more people. Correct. He, yeah. You know, and said that he didn't do enough. And that's Christian people saying the Christian representatives that are making these statements. Let me interrupt you there, Val, and give the phone number, and then we'll continue along this thread. But if anybody else wants to join in and ask any questions, uh, the number, if you want to call locally, is 469-0500. Again, 469-0500. Or toll free, it's 1-866-625-9378. Again, 1-866-625-9378. So go ahead. You were talking about how different Christian sects are responding. So, so... So I just made. I just wanted to pull that out. So you can't just blame it on Islam. So it's not. It's whenever theology, and someone is deal, is dealing with insecurity and theology. Theology can um, work as positive or negative for individual. And I think for this particular individual, worked in a negative way. Um, attacking this bar. This is June, which is Gay Pride Month, which is. Um, so, and there's a history of attacking bars, queer spaces in America. So a, there was a bar called Stonewall in New York City, which is was the fuse for gay pride. It had, was attacked in um, 1969, like June 28th. And that lit a fuse for this. But there's also another attack that happened in 73. So, yes, we as queer people 
um, we recognize um, attacks on our on on our havens or in our safe or in our safe spaces. Well, in Stonewall, I mean, part of the thing back in the '60s too is that there was so much fear about being outed, being caught or arrested at one of these bars, being arrested mm-hmm. for being at one of these bars. Things have, as you pointed out, changed at this by this right. point, but there was a not completely obviously, but there were degrees in between there. You were involved in ACT UP. ACT UP was attacked quite a bit. And the fact yeah. that ACT UP had to exist to bring attention to the AIDS crisis right. is also indicative of the way society was thinking about this, you know, dismissing AIDS as being, a, you know, something from the bathhouses, you know, for people. It, just as a as another them. gay, as a, a, as a disease that only could affect gay right. people. So the marginalization, again, the fringe thing again and um so act up also proves how um queer people can galvanize themselves and unite but it was a long period of time that they had to fight by themselves before allies joined in to help them in the process of of standing up and getting um medications and stuff and led to a um taking on big pharma in a really interesting way that created another type of methodology to fast-track medication. So the society as a whole benefited from it. The society in general benefited from the process. But um, this is uh, leading to, I really, I'm hoping, I can't say I know for sure, because I thought the killing of those children in Sandy Hook, would, City Hook, yeah. Yeah, wouldn't be a, a sea change in a positive direction. But this feels right now to me, and I don't know because it feels somewhat personal, that this and the outcry, which across the country with all types of individuals, and um, and uh, I think we there's an opportunity. I'll just say, I think there's an opportunity here again. Um, Within the queer culture, there's lots of subcultures. So within this particular, what it was directed at um, Latino people, Puerto Ricans in, is in particular. So the Puerto Ricans, um, queer Puerto Rican people are really um, raising their voices. Also, I understanding that there's trying to be some type of communication with. Uh, Muslim community within um, Florida across the, um, the lines with uh, the Latino community down there. So that looks like that's a positive thing. Uh, we, our society, has got to take take on um, stuff. And and how was he so easily able to access a weapon of mass destruction that should only be used for military reasons? I don't even think. The police should have it. That's just me personally, and I'm not. I'm not one of these people that's that's banned guns. But to me, that was a military weapon for soldiers. I don't understand how why he's able to access it. Also, I'm understanding that he had been on the FBI um, watch list, so there was some like warning signs about this individual. But he couldn't take a flight, but he could buy a gun. <laughs> well, let me get the phone number again. We uh, One of the things that we, in, in thinking about putting together today's program, 
just not knowing where people were going to be at by Wednesday. You know, obviously it's been in the works for a couple of days and uh, had hoped to have actually your other, the other uh, former host of Ism Prism, who is a therapist who's worked with trauma issues, come in. She wasn't available today, uh, Anita Arnold, but uh, just wondering how people are doing out there, how people are coping. If anybody would like to just call in and talk about that, where you're at with things, if you're in a place where uh, you're oversaturated and you're trying to avoid the topic, then you probably have turned off the radio already. But if you are in a point where you're talking about it, and uh, are you at a place where you're talking about action? There are sort of two themes, um, and it, give the phone number while I'm saying this. Again, the phone number locally is 469-0500, and the toll-free number is one 866 Six two five nine three seven eight. So feel free to call in and talk about whatever you want to talk about about the shootings last weekend at the Pulse Bar in Orlando. But people that who were speaking at the vigils the last couple of nights that I attended, and people who I spoke with who weren't speaking on mic, seemed to be of a couple of frames of mind, different frames of mind in terms of uh, whether they were in the process of just mourning and not wanting to think about the politics of it or if they were at a place where unraveling some of the politics involved in all of this. So the first, uh, after hearing about the news within a couple of hours, Donald Trump tweeted uh, talking about basically, see, I told you so, about people, um, Islamic people, uh, Muslims, people immigrating to the U.S., uh, and that received a lot of backlash. There have been both sides already instantly, as happens with all these shootings, talking about gun control and whether or not this would affect Maine's um, ballot question this fall. What do you all think about that? 1-800, or excuse me, 1-866-625-9378 or 4690500. We have Jason from Rockland on the line. Go ahead, Jason. Welcome well, to the program. Uh, first of all, how can I express uh, my sorrow and thank you for the opportunity uh, to speak for a moment, but I just came out of a conversation in a, in a, actually a music store, two of the principals and I, we spent about 45 minutes on the subject. So, and, and we all made utterance like, Oh my God, what a horrible conversation. And why do we have to take up this talk now? And, uh, uh even though, uh, men, uh, in this discussion between 35 and 70, uh, we, we're in a whole different relationship to the world as individuals. So it's like an unspeakable act beyond our imagination. And, of course, uh, I think I wanted you to be aware that we're not so fatigued that we're not going to continue this conversation. And I'm going to make a bold statement that this newsworthy story is not going to go away after a couple of days. But let me add, like, a couple of factoids, or at least one that is so startling regards the issue of gun violence in the United States of America. The toll by gun violence in the last century exceeds all of our military casualties. So, uh, you know, if I can borrow from Hollywood, it's a mad, 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 mad world. And I want to add something. When my daughter came out at age 13, uh, she said, Daddy, I'm a lesbian. Uh, I was startled because she already had a boyfriend or two at that time. But, of course, it makes more personal this tragedy. Mm. 
Thank, thank you for your call, Jason. Thanks for your effort to uh, communicate today, and thanks to your guests also. Thank you. Again, my guest is Valentine King. Val, did you want to respond to that? No, I was just, when he was, when he told me his daughter, I was just thinking about our society keeps trying to, to other us. Yes, it's a queer community, but we, but we have straight families. We have straight mothers, fathers, brothers, cousins, aunts, uncles, and our society has to stop othering us and recognize we are part of the same thing. We, you know, we're in, you know, we're connected, you know, we're all one peoples. And, um, and what, one of my favorite things about queerness is the diversity. I love that we are American and non-American and we are black and we are white and Latino and Asian and young and old and stuff like that. But one, one of the sad factors on this othering, one, frequently our safe spot is not our homes. So that's another reason why we go out for multiple reasons, could be, you know, but, but, um, create families of choice and uh, communities of choice because you can't create family with your bloodline sometimes and stuff yeah. like that. And so I'm, and I'm very familiar with that. And I have friends who are very familiar with that. Then I have friends who are lucky and, um, it did happen that they could have family with bloodlines. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU. I'm Amy Brown here with Valentine King. If you'd like to join the conversation, the number is 469 0500 or 1 625 9378. What about this? Uh, conflict in the media about whether to portray this as terrorism or hate crime. It seems that a lot of the mainstream media is a lot more comfortable taking the terrorism angle, although what the the groups that the uh, shooter, I don't even want to say his name, the, ju- the groups that he identified with uh, are not connected. They're, right. They <laughs> even are opposed to each other. So his political analysis of that doesn't seem to be particularly well thought out. He does seem to, you know, obviously he had some connection with the church and he had been trying to be radicalized. But that angle, as opposed to it being a hate crime and looking at his own practices and whether or not his religion was making him hate himself, that piece doesn't seem to be looked at quite as much. It's I find it strange that they, that the mainstream media doesn't want to use the word homosexual or queer or gay, and and if being a terrorist wouldn't um, is in conflict with being a homophobe, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he couldn't he just I don't know whether or not he actually was a terrorist. I don't know what his connections were. I know, like you said, the two the two different groups that he mentioned are in conflict with each other. Um, but a terrorist and a homophobe, you know, that can be in the same thing. Like, I, that's what this, that's what I mentioned earlier about intersection. Of the, a lot of stuff has come across. But we, as a society, always want something packaged in one small, easy, digestible, I don't know, concept. Now he reaches across a whole lot of lines. Right. He he was in he seemed to be have been, been in conflict. I don't really know whether he was um it um queer or not, but it seems like it's a good strong possibility that yeah, he was. Yeah, the staff at other gay bars in the area, including mm-hmm. the Parliament House, have been saying that mm-hmm. he was a regular at their bars and and um, gay dating apps. He, but also, he was a a, a wife abuser. He physically right. abused his wife. That was. 
That alone should be a reason why you shouldn't be able to purchase a gun. You know well, I mean? and he also worked for G4S, which from 2007, so he'd been there for eight, nine years, mm-hmm. uh, a security firm that right. turns out is the second largest private employer in the U.S. I but no they idea. do I knew some worked, type I didn't of know what, okay. Yeah, that's what I've read. They do some types of screening. He was screened twice during the time he was there, not by the FBI, but right. internally by them, at least twice. And then apparently they're not doing a their good screening. Job. So you have to wonder, mm-hmm. this is a huge security firm. They right. can't screen this guy out. Right. That is weird. And then, which makes you wonder well, who else, what else is going on with that security firm <laughs> and screening of individuals. Um, just two weeks ago, President Obama had made a comment about people who are being looked at are on different lists, but there's nothing legally he could do as the president of this country to stop them from purchasing a gun. So even when you know someone is um, warrants to be watched, there's nothing, there's no law, there's nothing that can stop them from actually purchasing a gun. So that's, and so therefore, that's when there has to be some shift, something, there needs to be some like evaluation on what that process is and what guns are, are should be available to the uh, general public and what should be military and shouldn't be in the hands of the public or sold as easily accessible to the public. I've seen two different um, interviews with j- journalists who um, went out to purchase an AR-15. One young woman said it took her seven, seven minutes, minutes. I saw and, that too, and yeah. then I saw one where the person said it took them 38 minutes right. so I don't know where they were in the country but that's how long it took but I also saw a, a, a ISIS clip where one, a representative of ISIS was saying please stay in your in, um, in America don't come to uh, the Middle East have your fight in the streets and besides, all the guns are there. Y'all can get them. You know what I mean? So, this, so. There's a meme going around on the Internet that uh, says, oh, I can't buy two boxes of Sudafed. All right, I'll just take the one box and the seven guns. Basically, <laughs> that the, the, back, the background checks and the mm-hmm. difficulty in, in getting that. But the arguments made by people who support uh who are more gun supporters that if one person in that bar had had a gun, they could have taken the guy out. Now, we don't know if anybody, I don't know, I don't think it's been made public if anybody in that bar actually had a concealed handgun and whether or not that that argument holds true. But, and this is outside of your area of expertise, but what do you think about that? I mean, you, you said at the beginning that you're kind of balanced in terms of guns. You don't think these assault weapons are appropriate, but you're not completely anti-gun. I'm not anti-gun, and I think if you if people have, um, if there's legitimate background checks on guns, and I, and I think it's a difference between hunting and protecting yourself and one having a weapon of mass destruction. Having a gun as a sports thing, I, I, I get that. I understand that. I don't understand a gun that shoots, I don't know how many clips in a minute. You know, like, what is the purpose of owning that object? What is the purpose? What is the fear? Uh, why And who are we as the other? And also it seems like all the people who... Um, have these type guns, who or who are accessing these type guns, 
aren't using them to protect the home or protect the family. They're using them to um, to destroy something, and I'm, and whatever that is. I mean, besides taking life, but to destroy some idea or concept or fear of something they're directed at. So um, I don't know. And like you said, it, it was a it's a bar. Uh, we don't know if someone had a gun. Someone could have had a gun. First of all, um, what's that law in floor in the whole for the whole state of floor, Florida? Oh, that the uh, uh, one that uh, allows you to to carry to basically you, shoot you, Trayvon Martin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kids yeah, and skittles. Yeah, yeah, that law. So, but the other on the side note about that, um, uh, I've known um, bouncers at gay clubs. Actually, most bouncers I've known at gay clubs have been heterosexual. Quite a few of them have been um, police, and that's how they... And they like being bouncers at gay clubs because they say they get a lot of money for a short amount of time, and usually nothing happens. They don't have to really break up too many fights. There's usually... If it's in those environments, they preferred it over working straight clubs. They said straight clubs, they have many fights they have to break up. They, you, somebody's trying to show out, and so... Yeah. So usually in that setting, it's generally um, a calmer situation. I do know that actually, I actually the one of the the bouncer was an off duty police officer who right, worked there, at the club, and he yeah, had a gun because yes. he shot back, and he had a gun. So he was the bouncer at the club who had a gun. John just held up, John Greenman, our engineer, just held up a sign saying that's the standard ground law is what that law was called. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. there was, I, I guess, yeah. a couple of police that were outside. Yeah. That one was uh, he, dealing with an underage drinker, and yeah. they got in there, and that's when the sh- shooter barricaded himself into the bathroom, apparently. Yeah. So Gay Pride Month, I guess, Bangor's Gay Pride, big gay pride event is coming up this coming Saturday right. uh, or Actually, maybe I have the dates wrong. It's the 25th, so that's not this coming Saturday. Uh, how do you think um, this is going to impact these activities? Do you, are you feeling I like... I posted... Um, it's a, um, a, a drag performer who travels around the country, who actually goes to... She was just at that club in Florida a week before and her job she makes that's how she entertains her I mean makes her living and she travels around the country and she said she's trying to mentally get herself together to go to gay pride she has to get on planes fly entertain but this is her livelihood and she knew lots of those individuals that died Mm. so it's going to affect a lot of people in a lot of different ways so um um I think it's gonna. It's just gonna resonate, it, and as it is resonating, and it's gonna hang in the air. But I'm what I would like if it resonate with Congress, the GOP in particular, to like really um, to create a bill to to do background checks and to. He, I understand that he wouldn't have been able to get a gun. He wouldn't have been able to get a purchase that type of weapon if he could if he got a background check i understand well it's i guess the federal federal gun sales are the background checks that they want Mm. to put in place with private sales here in maine in the fall but uh we're getting a signal that we have another call and we have time to just take one more quick call go ahead what's your first name where are you calling from please this is frank from lemoyne i'd like i'd like to see val back on the radio i really enjoyed his his show 
Thank you. <laughs> and we're talking he is about back on guns. The ta- well, I know that Jimmy is out of full time and he is in prison. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to just, if I had enough time, to make a real quickie thing about weapons. This Saturday, they're launching a $4 billion weapon at Bath Ironworks, and we have a license permitted by the police demonstration going on at 9 o'clock down in Bath. More people, the merrier, to protest the $4 billion Zumwalt destroyer, which goes along with AR-15, so to speak. It's just another weapon thing that we don't need. And thank you for the show, and thanks, Val. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for calling in. And we have just three minutes left to the program, which I want to give to you for last thoughts, Val. I just want people... First of all, queer people are human beings. So we've been pushed to the fringe, pushed to the other, and we're connected. And um, and please, if we can just use this as an opportunity for humanity's sake and use this to understand it's not just political, it's a moral thing. It's a moral thing that we need to stand up and change. Like they say, no other Western country in the world is going through this. So there there are answers and they know what can be done. So this does not have to get repeated as often as it does. Mm. One of the speakers who spoke in uh, Belfast when we played said, the way we shut it down is through love. Mm-hmm. And um, and gun control is what the other point that you were making, right? Yeah, and, and love, and we're and we're talking about strong, hard love. I'm thinking about um, it's a black woman writer. I'm blanking on her name right now, and she talks about love. Um, she's from Kentucky. Bell Hooks. That's who I'm reaching for. Bell Hooks has a book, and real love is not easy, and it's not passive. Mm. And so that's I just wanted to get that out there. And um, that's a book to check in if you want to talk about what it takes to really love each other and love and love differences. Because mm-hmm. I really, differences, I love them, actually. I'm attracted to difference. So I don't understand the hate of other or the fear of other. And the fear of change that a lot of people mm-hmm. have as well. Well, thanks again for being with us today. Really Thank appreciate you, you coming. I'm so happy and to see you. And uh, again, that's Valentine King. You've been listening to Maine Currents. I'm your host, Amy Brown. Join us here every Wednesday at 4 o'clock for independent local news, views, and culture. Next week, we'll have our next installment in our ongoing elections call-in shows with studio guests that support a range of political parties and candidates. Last time we had a Republican, a Libertarian, a Green, and a Bernie supporter, and a Hillary Clinton supporter. And we're going to try to have that same mix next Wednesday at 4. Also, be sure to like WERU's Facebook page because there you will find posts about upcoming shows, station information, as well as uh, photos and video clips from the events we covered today. WERU also has a brand new YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search for WERU News. John Greenman engineered today's show. Stay tuned for Democracy Now! Up next, then drive straight ahead with Larry Stahlberg here on Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported, nonprofit organization focused on reviving the working landscape and securing a future for farming in Maine. More information on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at mainefarmlandtrust.org.